Welcome to episode 147 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, dried, the dehydrated food episode. The surest way to lighten your food load is to extract all the water from it. We'll share our dehydrating successes, some graceful fails, and some tips to help you dehydrate your own food. Then for the Summit Gear Review, we'll share a fun tool for making beef jerky, and today's backpack hack of the week is an easy way to use that tool to bring your favorite Chinese takeout on the trail. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Well, if you're just getting into backpacking, you may think that the easiest way to take dried food on the trail is just to buy those packages of freeze-dried food on the shelves of your favorite outdoor store. And you probably noticed that they're kind of pricey. And so maybe you've wondered, is there a better way? Is there a way to bring food that's lightweight and still calorie dense and maybe have a little bit more control over what foods come on your backpacking trip? This episode today is all about dehydrating your own food. Dehydrating is a method of food preservation that's very old. In fact, it's probably one of the first methods of food preservation, and it's almost impossible to mess up which makes it a great DIY adventure for backpackers. And some backpackers go big on dehydrating. Every meal they take is something that they cooked at home, and then they spread it out on the dehydrator tray and dehydrated it. Everything from soups to stroganoff to casseroles, you name it. Some people have figured out a way to dehydrate absolutely everything. And really, I mean, when it comes to rules of dehydration, it is one of the simplest things you can do. The more water you take out of food, the more preserved it will be because water is what helps bacteria to grow. Bacteria loves that that moist environment, which is why I think the word moist probably skeezes a lot of people out. But if you take water out of food, it makes it so there's no moisture where the bacteria can grow. So the more water you take out, the longer it'll last. And that's the number one rule of dehydrating food. Just make sure it's dry. If there is a close second rule, I would say be sure that the food is low in fat because fat doesn't dehydrate out. And so fat has a tendency to become rancid over time. So you want to make sure that the food that you dehydrate is stuff like fruits, vegetables, low-fat meats, So I suppose a recipe could have a little bit of that in it, like a lasagna that has a little bit of cheese mixed in. You're probably going to be okay, but like you're saying, the shelf life perhaps may be less because of the cheese. Right. Yeah, so it's something that could be shelf stable for maybe, I don't know, six to eight weeks. But um, if there's way less fat, if you take out all the fat and just do fruits and vegetables and lentils or grains, then you'll have a much longer shelf life. And dehydrating changes the texture of a food. So 
that works better for some foods than others. I mean, there's some foods where that particular texture is really important. Right. And when you lose it, it's just not the same food anymore and it's pretty gross. And so even though dehydrating is pretty straightforward and simple, hard to mess up on, there's probably some foods that work better than others. I can just share a few things that won't work for dehydrating. Things like bread or pizza. You know, stick those in a dehydrator and they will get dehydrated. But if you try and rehydrate them, you're going to have kind of a soggy, odd... Uh, I'm just imagining bread right now. (laughs) I mean, it would turn into a crouton, basically. Right. And then when you try to rehydrate it, I mean, you can't. Right. I mean, you could use that to your advantage. Say you took bagels and sliced them really thinly and dehydrated them. Those would make great little bagel chips. So that would work really well. Things like greens, you know, like lettuce, kale, spinach, those will never rehydrate back to the crispness level that you dehydrated them at. Of course, you can use those things. You can dehydrate spinach, you can dehydrate broccoli, but they'll probably end up crumbling and being really more like a powder or more, um, I don't know, kind of shriveled looking So I guess you could use uh, something like spinach if it was uh, crumbled up and mixed into something like a soup with a little bit of spinach or, you know, something where the texture is not going to be such a big deal. But if you were just trying to do leaves of spinach for your dinner, you know, (laughs) as a side and like, oh, yeah, I'll I'll dehydrate these and then I'll rehydrate them. And I'm going to have my little spinach leaves in a little pile on my plate. Like a little salad or something. Not going to work. Not really. And even some foods like pasta take an impossibly long time to rehydrate and can be really frustrating when you're on the trail. You have this bag of delicious, you know, mac and cheese that you're just really craving. It's going to take a long, long time for that to rehydrate. And I think the smaller the pasta, the faster it'll rehydrate. So take that into consideration when you're doing any kind of pasta meal. There is a huge difference between dehydrated food and freeze-dried food, which is one of the reasons that freeze-dried food in the grocery store or in the outdoor store is so expensive. It's a completely different process. Freeze-drying involves actually freezing the food and then slowly letting the liquid from the food sublimate out. I'm going to turn this over to Josh because he understands what sublimation actually is. So in a freeze dryer, it freezes the food first and then it sucks all the air out of the freeze dry chamber. So it creates a vacuum. And so what happens is as the food gets frozen, of course, the water turns to ice. So it's the solid form of water. And then when it vacuums all the air out and creates that vacuum, the water that's frozen as ice, it turns directly from ice to gas, like a water vapor, and it skips the liquid phase. And so it comes out of the food differently, and the food remains in the same shape that it was before to a large extent because it was frozen. So it keeps that structure, but gets the water out by taking it straight from ice form to gas form and extracting it from the freeze dryer. My mom actually bought a freeze dryer. It's down in her basement, and we played around with it last time we visited there. Uh, One of the fun experiments was an ice cube. (laughs) 
We put an ice cube on the tray, and we wanted to see what would come out in the end. And what came out was this very tiny pile of white powder. It was just the mineral content of that tap water that had been used to create the ice cube. So that's all that was left. <laughs> But we did have some fun experiments on that tray. We did dried bananas, which were very good. Those are freeze-dried bananas, freeze-dried cantaloupe, and we also did freeze-dried mango salsa. Yeah, which turned out great. Um, also, freeze-dried yogurt. Oh, we yeah. just spooned it in, in little spoonfuls of yogurt, so they kind of freeze dried as these little yogurt candies. Right. So freeze drying is a completely different process from dehydrating. Dehydrating, when it takes the water out, the object doesn't retain its shape and becomes kind of um, compressed and shriveled and darkened. Dehydrated food can still rehydrate, but because the cells are compressed. It doesn't rehydrate as quickly as freeze-dried food. Freeze-dried food has all the cells still open and is more crunchy. It always will have that astronaut ice cream kind of feel to it. Dehydrated food will have more of a tough, jerky feel to it. Interesting side note: as I was preparing for this episode, I looked up the word jerky and found out that it came from a South American language called Quechua. I don't know exactly how to say it, but something like Quechua, which was spoken by uh, people in the area of Peru and you know throughout the Andes. The word was chaarki, or something like that, C H apostrophe A R K I. And this process for making jerky was、uh, originally used by the Incas, who lived at high elevations and cold temperatures most of the time. And so, what was interesting to me, though, coming full circle here. Is that the Incas had a sort of freeze drying process, not a, a dehydrating process? Right. Well, they were making jerky, and it was partially it was somewhere on the spectrum between dehydrating and freeze drying. Wow! Because they would take these strips of meat and then put them out at high elevations at cold temperatures in the sunlight, and so because it was cold, things were frozen. So that's like freeze drying, and because the sun was shining on it. To some extent, sublimation was happening. It was going straight from the frozen to the gas form. But of course, they didn't have machines to actually create a vacuum to vacuum out all the water that was frozen at room temperature and all of that. But it was a sort of freeze drying process. Yeah, like high elevation,、hybrid. low air pressure up there, sun shining, but it was cold. And so, anyway, that was、uh, the origins of jerky. Interesting. Yeah, it was like their own little hybrid variation of preserving food. That's really cool. And whether you're eating dehydrated food on the trail or you've purchased freeze-dried food, remember to drink more water because if water is sucked out of the food, once that food goes into you, it needs、uh, needs a little help getting through. So drink more water. I think it's also important to note that you can do dehydrated food in a special dehydrator, or you can oven dry the food just on a low temperature, like 175, with the oven slightly cracked. Or you can even sun dry the food, which means you would just need to make sure it's protected from bugs and that it's in the sun and that there's proper ventilation so that the moisture can leave the food. Our family uses the Excalibur food dehydrator, which is, I think, nine shelves. So you can do quite a bit of dehydrated food 
but also you can use those round dehydrators. I see those pretty frequently at thrift shops. So there's lots of different ways to dehydrate food, but whatever way you pick, dehydration is a great way to add variety, flavor, and some real interest to your backpacking meals. Okay, so as we move to the top five list, uh, just keep in mind that if you don't have a high-end professional dehydrator device, that's okay. The cheap ones work, and just using your oven or setting something out in the sun works too. So really everyone can dehydrate food regardless of what equipment they have. Can I also just name one more unconventional way to dehydrate food? And that is to put food on some kind of screen and put it in your car. Your car gets so hot, and if you just crack the windows a little bit, it turns your car into a free dehydrator. Of course, when you get into your car, it might smell like beef jerky for, yeah. well, it might smell like it for a few weeks. Um, but yeah, that's a really inexpensive way to turn something you already have into a dehydrator. So for today's top five list, we wanted to share our top five dehydrating wins. These are things that we've had success with, these five things are versatile foods. They're foods that are healthy and that you can incorporate into lots of meals on the trail. And the first one is the weirdest one of all that I had zero faith in when Josh tried it. I'm so sorry, Josh. I didn't think it was going to work. It's dehydrated eggs. Like raw eggs. Last December, a listener clued us into this and said, hey, you can dehydrate eggs. And we thought, hmm, really? Well... Might as well try, or at least that's what I thought. Yeah, I was so anti-supportive of this project. It sounded like a waste of good eggs. So I scrambled a few eggs. I didn't cook them. I just uh, spread them out, raw scrambled eggs, on the dehydrator tray on, um, I think it was just wax paper that I used, because uh, the tray, of course, is more like a screen. Parchment paper, maybe? Parchment paper, wax paper, yeah, something like that. And I just spread them out thinly on it. And I stuck those in the dehydrator and let them go for a few hours. And then I pulled them out and they were in these little crispy chunks that were fairly thin. I stuck them all in the blender and turned them into powdered scrambled eggs. And then I used the powder in a couple recipes from our trail fuel book. One of those recipes was our really popular Taiwanese crepes recipe. Oh, those are good. So good. They call for a scrambled egg and then you use a tortilla as like a shell and you create this really cool food that we call Taiwanese crepes or danbing. And I thought, well, you know, how's it gonna work? I mean, is the reconstituted scrambled egg gonna taste okay in a danbing, in a Taiwanese crepe? So I uh, mixed the powder with some water to reconstitute the eggs, poured it into the pan, cooked it just like the recipe calls for in the trail fuel book, and uh, it turned out great. The eggs are a little bit different texture, a little more rubbery, I guess you could say, and maybe a little gritty. But since they're inside of that tortilla and there's also some cheese in there, it really works really well. So do you remember what the ratio is of egg to water, or did you just kind of eyeball it? It was a heaping tablespoon of egg powder with two tablespoons of water, and that made one egg. I posted about it on Facebook and Twitter back last December, so I'll share that again this week uh, so everyone can get the exact process or recipe for dehydrating eggs. The other recipe I tried them in was the cornmeal pancakes recipe. 
It worked perfectly in cornmeal pancakes because that grittiness that the dehydrated eggs have, well, it's fine because cornmeal is gritty too. So the texture wasn't affected at all, and the cornmeal pancakes turned out great. I think this is just going to open up so many options on the trail because nobody wants to bring raw eggs. No. But it's really fun to have that option. I mean, they're a good source of protein and nutrients. So I love, Josh, that you experimented with the raw eggs, that you were brave enough to just... It's not something I was ready to try yet. So I'm really glad that you uh, tested that out. Well, what are some of the wins for you? One of my big wins is dehydrated bananas. They look nothing like the bulk bin bananas that you find in the grocery store. Those are actually fried bananas. And they fry them in, I think, coconut oil and usually cover them in some kind of sweetener. These bananas... Dehydrated bananas are just sliced and put on the tray and they turn a little bit darker and have kind of crispy edges and kind of a tough leathery texture to them. But they are so sweet and chewy and satisfying and they are super cheap, which I love that because if you're trying to find good deals for snacks on the trail, Sometimes those energy bars can really add up in price. But dehydrated banana chips, they're so inexpensive to make. You can do an entire batch for pennies. Pennies, I tell you. So, so good. So you just slice them like you would if you were putting them on top of uh, cereal? Right. You can slice them like that, or you can also slice them lengthwise so they kind of look more like banana jerky, like strips of bananas. And I cut them about a quarter inch thick, but you can also do them a lot thinner and they'll end up more crispy, which I really like that. But either way, either way is good. Our next dehydrating win is tomatoes. It's basically sun-dried tomatoes, which makes the perfect mix-in for any pasta dish, soup dish. You could even rehydrate the tomatoes and lay them on top of a pita bread and have like a little pizza. They add that umami flavor to your food. They're so easy, so good, and very sweet. Tomatoes, when they dehydrate, they just get this intense sweetness that doesn't exist in fresh tomatoes. So they really change as they dehydrate. And do you just slice the tomatoes like you would for a sandwich or a hamburger? Yep, I do. And if I do little cherry tomatoes from the garden, I'll slice those in half and just let those dry. And you don't even have to take the seeds out. Sun-dried tomatoes or dehydrated tomatoes are so easy. Another dehydrating win is seasoned ground beef. So you'll want to choose something either really lean or if you want to get the fatty ground beef, you can also cook it up and then rinse it with some hot water in a colander to get all of the excess fat off. And then after you have that cooked ground beef, you can add any flavorings you want and then dehydrate it. So technically you could just smear a bunch of ground beef uncooked onto your drying sheet in your dehydrator, but you're going to end up with a massive piece of beef jerky. So the reason you want to pre-cook the ground beef is so that you can have it in those little convenient crumbles, and then you can add it to whatever food you're making on the trail. And the last of our dehydrating wins is lentils. 
Lentils are so healthy. And this is something that's really easy to do in an oven. So you'll want to pre-cook your lentils, not overcook them or else they'll get all mushy and weird, but just cook them until they're done. And then you can spread them on a tray of your dehydrator, or you can just put them on a piece of parchment paper on a cookie sheet inside of your oven and set it to a low temperature and just let the lentils dehydrate. And because they're so small, they'll dehydrate really quickly. And then you can add the lentils to anything. Julia over at Trailside Kitchen even created a snack recipe, a little trail mix that uses dried lentils. So you really can add the lentils to anything. You can toss it into your granola in the morning, you can put it into your snack mix, or you can rehydrate them and put them in a tortilla for dinner. Lentils are so versatile and they're so, so good. I love lentils. And there's several different varieties of lentils. So you can even experiment with the yellow ones, the green ones, or those cute little black French ones. They're so beautiful. They look like caviar, (laughs) trail caviar. (laughs) I'll stick with lentils. Lentils. We'll just call them lentils. So in addition to these top five, if you've had some great wins with dehydrating, uh, jump on Facebook or Twitter and share those with other First 40 Milers. Show us what you did and how you did it and how it turned out. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the LEM Jerky Gun. Pew, pew, pew. That's my my jerky gun sound effect. (laughs) When you you first told me that you were interested in a jerky gun, that was my image in my mind, like a candy cannon. Oh, yeah. Shooting beef jerky up in the air, shooting it at people. Who wouldn't love that? During a party. Hey, you want some beef jerky? I'll shoot it across the room to you. (laughs) I love it. Well, this is a jerky gun that makes jerky, not that shoots jerky. And it looks a lot like a caulk gun. So it has that tube on it with a hand trigger. And then inside of that tube is a steel piston rod. And then on the front of that tube is a nozzle. So what you do is you put the meat, the ground meat, inside of this tube. And then you attach on the nozzle. And this jerky gun has two different nozzles. There is a flat jerky nozzle, which makes jerky that's about an inch wide by about three sixteenths of an inch tall. And then there's a round snack stick nozzle that's a half an inch in diameter. The LEM jerky gun holds about three fourths of a pound of meat. And this specific gun comes with a seasoning packet. And I think most jerky guns come with some kind of seasoning packet but I'm too much of a DIYer. And so I'm not really into using other people's packets. I want to do my own flavoring, my own, you know, spin on it. So I actually haven't used the seasoning packet. I used my own little recipe that I'll be sharing in today's backpack hack of the week. As far as mass goes, well, it's irrelevant because this tool is not coming in your pack on a trip. In fact, you could think that this tool has negative mass because it's going to help you with extracting the water from the food that you bring on your trips. How about that? Negative grams. I like that. I would say it probably weighs two pounds, but yeah, leave it at home. For maintenance, it is dishwasher safe. For investment, this jerky gun is about $30 and comes with a one-year warranty. For trial, the LEM jerky gun 
was so much fun. Like, I've been wanting a jerky gun for so long. This was really cool. If you have any shred of OCD in you, or if you just really like it when things line up perfectly and you can make little rows of things, then this is a really fun food toy. We made chicken jerky, and most people, when they think of making jerky, they tend to just think meat, which is what we've used it for so far. We made some teriyaki chicken jerky, um, but I'm planning on trying out some other things, like maybe doing some strawberry banana fruit leather or fruit jerky, um, maybe incorporating some vegetables into the meat and doing some, some experimenting with that. It's all going to be a huge experiment, but I'm really excited to try it out. One of the things that I really liked about the LEM jerky gun was that when you pulled the trigger and it pushed the meat out of the nozzle, you didn't get that meat going behind the steel piston rod. You know, there wasn't any kind of mess. Yeah, no leakage behind that uh, piston. Right, it's a pretty tight steel. Nice. Another thing that I liked about using the LEM jerky gun is that the handle is a pretty substantial size. It's not flimsy and it's pretty comfortable to hold. The handle has a lot of travel, so you're not having to squeeze quite so hard with your hand in order to squirt the stuff out. Well, just now we took a little time out while Heather tried to figure <laughs> out how to retract the piston after it had been fully extended. I don't know why these things are so hard for me sometimes. But yeah, you just push the little metal tab in the back and you can pull the piston back out so you can reload your jerky gun. But if you're holding onto the handle and pressing the trigger at the same time that you're trying to retract the piston, uh, it doesn't work. Right. It's like uh, driving a stick shift where you're uh, putting your foot on the brakes and letting the clutch out at the yeah. same time. It, it won't do anything. It'll stall. I've done that before, too. Yeah, so just make sure when you're trying to retract the piston that you're not holding on to the trigger at the same time. Okay, we solved that problem. Woo! Anyway, we'll have the link to the LEM jerky gun in our show notes today. And our backpack hack of the week actually pairs perfectly with our Summit Gear review today because for today's backpack hack of the week, we are doing teriyaki chicken jerky strips. I'm sharing this backpack hack of the week with a little bit of a smirk because... A lot of recipes online for chicken jerky were actually on DIY dog food websites. Oh. <laughs> like, you know, make your own chicken and sweet potato jerky treats for your dog. And I thought, well, I eat chicken and sweet potatoes and I eat food like that. How come I can't make chicken jerky too? But I did find one paleo website um, and this human made chicken jerky for other humans. So I know that chicken jerky is a thing and we can eat it as humans, but I discovered the reason why we don't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. But it's still really delicious. So I want to share it today because it's really good, but it has a texture and a dryness that maybe won't appeal to some people. Maybe it will appeal to their dogs. <laughs> Boy, you're really selling this backpack hack of the week. <laughs> but I oh, like it. I people really... just can't wait to try this one out. <laughs> I liked it. Let me just share it. I'll share it, and then I want you to try it, and then we can 
discuss. Okay, I'll let you know what I think. Okay, so for these homemade teriyaki chicken jerky strips, you will need a jerky gun or not. We'll tell you how to do it without a jerky gun too. But for the jerky strips, you'll need a pound of boneless, skinless chicken breast, two tablespoons of brown sugar, two tablespoons of soy sauce, a tablespoon of liquid smoke, four cloves of garlic, and a half teaspoon of salt. And we'll have that ingredient list in today's show notes at thefirst40miles.com slash 147. So you'll add all of the ingredients, including the chicken, to a blender or a food processor, and you'll blend it until smooth, till it makes a lovely paste. Chicken paste. Yum. Yep. Then you add the mixture to a jerky gun, and you can use any attachment, or you can spread it out very thinly and evenly using a spatula onto some parchment paper. Then you'll want to dehydrate it at 165 degrees in a dehydrator. And if your dehydrator doesn't have a temperature setting on it, then I talked to the Cooperative Extension Office here in Oregon, and they said that you will want to just dehydrate it in a regular old dehydrator, but then put it in an oven and bring it up to that temperature. To 165. Yeah, to kill bacteria, to soothe your conscience, whatever. (laughs) That is what needs to happen in order for everyone to stay safe, they said. I started mine at around 5 p.m. and kept it going till about 10 p.m. So, you know, about five hours, but your mileage may vary. Just kind of want to test it. And how can you tell if it's ready? Yeah, it's it's bendy, but not tacky. If you get to the point where you um, bend it and it's really brittle, it snaps, you probably overcooked it, which is probably what happened when I made it. So, <laughs> But I like to err on the side of over dehydration because I don't want any of that water to... Um, you know, start bacteria growth. You want the food to actually be preserved. I do. That you can put it on the shelf and it'll last for a while. Right. And of course, in this recipe, the salt helps with preservation, the soy sauce, brown sugar, all of those work together to preserve it. But I prefer to have really dry, dehydrated stuff. So why don't you give it a try? Okay. You can let me know what you think. So it's kind of a medium brown color. Got the color of wood. Caramel. Yeah, the color of uh, caramel. All right. Yeah, a little bit brittle. Takes a bit of chewing. And it doesn't have the texture of beef jerky, like the stringy... You know, beef jerky has a grain. And because this was blended up in a blender, it doesn't have any grain. It's kind of the same in all directions. Kind of like particle board. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Josh. You're really selling it. (laughs) Compared to plywood. (laughs) I, I thought that would sell it. So I have to chew on it a little while to kind of soften it up and get it pliable. But imagine you were walking and chewing at the same time. Right. Yeah, when you're out backpacking, sometimes you want something to do with your mouth for a while. <laughs> so that's kind of nice in that way. And it's a good flavor. Thank you. So, yeah, I'd say I'm not going to go feed it to the dog. <gasps> you're going to eat it yourself? Yeah. Aw. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good, too. I like the flavor. I like um, how the jerky gun makes it all uniform and like all professional looking. Yeah, that's cool. Now, if you don't use the jerky gun, I wanted to ask, when you spread it out on the tray, should you make sure that it's in 
pieces when you spread it out, or should you just spread it out, dehydrate it, and then try to break it into pieces when it's done? So it'll dehydrate faster if you cut it into pieces. The outside edges, if you just do one large mass, those will start to dry faster than the inside. So yeah, cutting it will provide more surface area and make it so it dries faster. So the teriyaki chicken jerky strips, people-worthy, trail-worthy, and something that you can bring with you on your next backpacking trip. So again, grab the recipe at thefirst40miles.com slash 147. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, John Muir. He said, There is not a fragment in all nature, for every relative fragment of one thing is a full, harmonious unit in itself. It's fun to think about. Uh, You can look at a forest, which is a beautiful kind of unit in itself, and one tree within that forest is a fragment of the forest, and it's a beautiful, complete unit in itself. And it has leaves, and each of those leaves is a beautiful, complete unit within itself. And you can just keep on going to cells and atoms and protons and quarks and all the way down. Yeah, it's a beautiful thought. Nature is incredibly complete. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. That's kind of like our MSR water filter. Oh, yeah. (gasps) I wonder if they could talk to each other. Yeah, maybe they could carry on a conversation. I'd rate, um, I'd hate that. I'd hate it. I'd hate Okay, hold on. Nom, 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 nom. Don't eat all my chicken jerky.